prayer. Uh, oh, there it goes. Am I popping? All right. Thank you. Good morning. Good to be with you here this morning. Did uh, you guys all had a good time at the holidays this week? The big holiday this past week? Right? All Saints Day? Big celebration? Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, Halloween happened, but there is no Halloween with all, without All Saints Day, did you? Did you know that? Better Google it. Uh, all Saints Day is the big day this, this past week, and this being the Sunday after All Saints Day is often um, when church, many churches celebrate that, um, that day and, and focus on that. Um, but it, I, it got me thinking a little bit, too, about all Saints Day, or about Halloween and how it's popular versus All Saints Day, which most of you might not even know much about, which even I don't know that much about, except it's the, the celebration of all the, those who have gone before us and passed on. Um, some people, we don't even all agree on kind of like who a saint is. Some just believe, or, and really that's kind of our tradition, is that everyone who's gone before us as followers of Christ are saints. Um, but of course, there's the more official saints of the Catholic Church, and um, sometimes it's it's interesting and enlightening to learn about them. I don't know. Do you guys have a favorite saint? You know, it's not. I guess it's not quite like your favorite baseball player playing in the World Series. You could have the, you know, saint sister or what, um, whoever. You know, you should see her stats from 1875. Yeah, souls batted in off the charts. So I don't know what it is. The saints just really aren't as popular in the, as, a, as a person or even as Halloween as a holiday. Maybe it's because they're just not good at self-promotion. I don't know. They, they didn't really get out there and, and make cards about themselves and sell them in packs or something. But we, we pay more attention, I think, to people that, that draw our attention. People that we, the people that we praise and, and focus on are usually a little bit more famous and powerful and have um, the status in our communities. And interesting enough, in the passage today, I think we see that it was pretty much the same kind of thing in Jesus' day. There are certain people that got all the accolades and, and the attention and the status, and it wasn't always um, necessarily merit-based or how you would pick out the people that were uh, who actually lived out what they were saying. So, Jesus decided in this passage that he had a warning for those people. So if you want to turn to Matthew 23 with me, we have, uh, as you turn there, you might see the chapters beforehand and see that we're pretty much just a few days before Jesus' death. Just a, couple, just a few days before his, his crucifixion, so we're during that week. And in the, in the past little while, in the, in the chapters before, we see Jesus is getting a lot of challenges from the religious leaders, getting they're trying to get those tough questions like the famous one about do I pay taxes to Caesar and so forth and, and these other challenges. And they keep going back, back and forth. And so that's kind of what's going on right before this story. But then it says that he transitions his, his time now from focusing with them to talking directly to his disciples and the crowd. So he's not really talking directly to the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the, or the scribes today. He's, he's transitioned from having debates with them to talking to the crowd and to his disciples. It's actually 
a very similar type crowd that we see back earlier in the book of Matthew at the Sermon on the Mount. This is like kind of the two times when he's given a big message. He gave a big message, Sermon on the Mount, and then he's kind of given an opposite type um, version of it, or similar ideas, but going on the other, the other track here at the end of Matthew as he's talking to, the, to his uh, disciples and those that are following him. So let's read the, what he has to say at the beginning of this chapter. We're going to talk a little bit about essentially what he talks about through the whole chapter, but we'll just read the first 12 verses here together. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the scriptures. So practice and obey whatever they say to you. But don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush you with impossible religious demands and never lift a finger to help ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms they wear extra wide prayer boxes and scripture verses inside. And they wear extra long tassels on their robes. And how they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the most prominent seats in the synagogue. They enjoy the attention they get on the streets. And they enjoy being called rabbi. Don't ever let anyone call you rabbi. For you have only one teacher. And all of you are on the same level as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father. For only God in heaven is your spiritual father. And don't let anyone call you master, for there is only one master, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here ends the reading of, our, of the word of the Lord. So, we have a story here where Jesus is kind of... He's talking about the Pharisees and the scribes of these, these leaders in, the church, in what you could say that church of that day. But he's not talking directly to them. He's, he's, he's giving a warning. So we should probably, though, to be fair to the Pharisees, I think a little bit, know a little bit more about them. We kind of hear, we hear stories about them a lot. But um, I think it's important to go over a little bit what their focus was, what they're really about. And so I found a, a paragraph that describes them pretty well from an old professor of mine, actually, back in... Minnesota, Janine Brown. And so let me read to you what she says to help us better understand the Pharisees. To gain, to gain a better sense of Jesus' critique of the Pharisees, we would do well to remind ourselves of their primary motivations and distinctives. According to Josephus, he's like the big historian of the day back then, after the Bible, then we have Josephus, who starts to write a lot about that time. So he's, he's a big wig. According to Josephus, the Pharisees surpassed other Jews in their knowledge of the Torah. They were particularly concerned to bring the practice of purification necessary for temple participation into their everyday experience. The Pharisees were not attempting to earn a place into God's covenant through their Torah observance, following the law. Instead, as part of God's covenant people, they attempted to live out faithfulness to the law with a strong focus on avoiding ritual defilement whenever possible. So I think that's a pretty fair summary of them. They, they're not out trying to earn their way into, as we talked about in the past, I remember we talked about being on God's team. They're not trying to earn their way necessarily, but they're trying to protect God's team, so to speak, the, the holy and the righteous. They're trying to, they're, they have a habit of building fences to protect what's righteous to them and their rituals. So you could say they're, they're big on 
protecting the holy and purification practices. Um, and then these purification practices that they would talk about and share and would become an oral tradition, an oral law. Um, that, that passed down tradition is, is called the Mishnah. It's a long, apparently it's got a lot in it. So it, uh, but it's essentially these religious leaders and what they came up with when you take the scriptures and you expand on it and they share with each other and they um, debate with one another over the generations, they come up with these oral, these oral laws and the Mishnah was eventually written down, um, but not until a couple hundred years uh, after this time period. So what kind of, you might wonder, what kind of purification processes or rituals are we talking about? Uh, well, like there's one uh, apparently in there that says how far you can literally walk on the Sabbath before you're breaking the law and working on the Sabbath. You can walk 2,000 cubits. And everyone knows what a cubit is. So don't walk 2,000 cubits. But it was, it was based off how far it was to the Ark of the Covenant and all these different things. And so it's a very um, specific place how far you could walk on, on, on the Sabbath day. They also had, and this one's a little more famous because it's a, there's a story of Jesus talking to the, or the Pharisees asking Jesus about this, but the washing of their hands before the meal. Remember, they, they asked Jesus um, earlier on in his ministry, why aren't your disciples washing their hands before they eat? Well, it, this washing of hands wasn't, necessarily like we do today and going and get the germs off it was a very ritualistic process where they would take an exactly an egg and a half of water which i don't know what an egg container looked like back then but an egg and a half of water was the was the rule and they would the, the pharisees would hold their hands like this and then they get water poured on their fingers and just kind of let the water drip so you can kind of picture a lot of very important people walking around with their drippy fingers but that was the process that they had to go through, and it was important, and it meant, and it was, it was a law, even though it was just the oral law right then, but it was important to these Pharisees to protect what they believed to be um, holy and righteous. So, it seemed that after we learn about these Pharisees and we see some of the things they do, it's easy enough for us to say, well, yeah, that's... It's simple enough. Jesus is frustrated with these guys. He's frustrated with the religious leaders. I mean, they are kind of already um, picked on him before with trying to trick, trick him into answering questions um, to condemn himself, and they're already angry with him. So it makes sense that Jesus would come out and give some woes and warnings um, to the Pharisees and other religious leaders. But it, if you listen closely to the passage today, there is a, a confusing part. There's a passage right at the beginning in verses 2 and 3. It says, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, so that otherwise the scribes and the Pharisees, if you heard that phrase before, are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. So that, now, if you've read the rest of Matthew, that might cause you to pause a little bit, because it, it's a, did Jesus really say practice and obey whatever they tell you? Because there's other places in Matthew he's not telling you to practice what they obey. We have, but first let's talk about the first verse. It says that they're the official interpreters of the law of Moses. And what that really means, if you go to a, a more um, literal translation, you'll find in there that it says that they are those who sat on Mo, the seat of Moses or Moses' seat. And I think I might have talked about this once before. It seemed like it was it was jogged my memory, but we believe, we don't actually know, so it, again, we like to um, try to figure these things out, but we believe Moses' seat was 
was a, was a seat in the synagogue where the people who were re- re- would read the Torah and read the law would sit there, and so it was, it was a special seat for God's law to be read from. And so he's saying these Pharisees and scribes, they are the, the authority that gets to sit in those chairs, that, that chair, and read the law. Now, there's a debate if that's really a, if it's a literal chair or if it's a metaphorical chair, but it's, it's essentially the same meaning that they, he is agreeing that they are the ones that have been passed down through tradition and, and through status, that they have the authority to be in Moses' seat. So, that's, so it seems like he's, he's acknowledging their, their status at this point and that they're the holders of the scripture of Moses. But, but then he says, practice and obey whatever they tell you. There's, I mean, just now we talked about the washing of the hands. Jesus didn't agree with them on that. We talked, there's other passages about divorce that Jesus disagreed with, um, the emphasis of the Pharisees. There's pretty much everything else in Matthew, even later in this chapter, doesn't really jive with obey what they're teaching you. So there's something else going on here that we need to look a little more, more closely. And I think it's more likely that Jesus is, is saying, obey when they're reading you God's law. When the word of God is being read from Moses' seat, yes, listen to them, because they have the access to the law. If most All of you know that there wasn't Xerox copiers back then. And so they didn't have, not everyone had their own Torah in, in their, uh, on their shelf getting dusty. There was all, only the, the religious leaders had the most access and knew the most by memory of the, of the God's law. And so Jesus is saying, yes, they have the, the access to the law, and so you should listen to them so that you can know what is in the scriptures. So I think Jesus is not saying so much, obey everything they say, but oh, listen to them and acknowledge them when they read um, from God's scriptures. So he's acknowledging their position, and he listen to them when they're sharing. But when it comes to interpretation, then he's, then he's pretty much not, not so much. We can see this in other places, too. We talked about um, divorce, where he's cha- he changed things a little bit. But like when he talks about adultery, Jesus expands the meaning of adultery to talk more about lustful thoughts. We, we know that he talks about murder, and he says Jesus expands that even to talk about hating one another. And then, of course, the, over and over, the debates about the Sabbath, he reprimands, uh, or his disciples get reprimanded for, like, picking grains of wheat just to eat on the Sabbath. And so he has a disagreement about that interpretation with the Pharisees. So it's clear that when it comes to interpretation, they don't, they don't agree. He's acknowledging their status and, and their role, so to speak, but he's not agreeing with them. He's, the point, though, is that he's, I think we miss, miss sometimes if we think, oh, Jesus doesn't like any of the laws. He just got rid of all the laws. No, Jesus was not anti-law. He was anti-law with bad motives. He was, he was anti-law that divides people and that builds up walls that leads to heavy burdens. He was anti-fences around himself. So, so then what is Jesus doing? Is this just a, a time he gets together with his friends and gossips about the bad bosses? You know, how horrible they are, those Pharisees. I can't believe them. Or is there something more here? What, is, what does it have to do with us? What did it have to do with his disciples? I mean, if we know the Pharisees were, the wrong, were wrong, what what do we have to do more than just 
move on. I think when you look closer, though, it seems like this passage speaks directly to anybody who's in leadership of God's people. And this passage, these passages, if you, if you continue on in the next, the rest of this chapter, it can get a little rough. There's, back in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, we have, blessed are those. This passage is famous because it has woe to those. These are the woe passages. So, woe, slow down, watch out. Kind of the anti-Beatitudes. And so you might think, well, that's okay, though. I'm not a Pharisee. That's fine. I'm, I'll, I just avoid doing those crazy things that the Pharisees did with the dripping water and all that kind of stuff, and I'll be good. But I get, when I start looking a little closer and thinking about it, I get a little uncomfortable. Because if I was the one being persecuted, or if I was in the, the group of people that was underprivileged, or if I was the one that was without status and was low on the totem pole, so to speak, then I could say, oh, yeah, go ahead, Jesus. You tell them. You know, stick it to them. Yay, rah, rah. Woke. All the more woes, the better, you could say, if you're, if you're on, the, on the bottom. But when I'm honest, I'm not at the bottom. I'm, I'm the one with some, some power, some authority. I'm one with some privilege. My status is really a lot closer to the status of the Pharisee than it was the crowd. And that's where we often fail. We fail to see this passage as something that we can use to inspect ourselves. We often just look at it and say, see the Pharisee as the other person. We have failed to see that we could be So we, we fail when we don't realize that he could be talking to us. And we've failed in the past. Our, our ancestors have failed. These, this kind of passages have even been used to persecute other people instead of looking at ourselves. What if we use this passage a little differently, though? And I have another quote from another, um, another professor, actually. This one's... Uh, Richard Swanson, and he's from Augustana University, where my wife went to college. So, uh, he must be good. So this is what he says, though. Jesus' words in this little scene hold up a mirror that I keep wanting to transform into a window. See that? Say that again. Jesus' words in this little scene hold up a mirror that I keep wanting to transform into a window. I want to look through this window to see how other people are doing it wrong. I'm definitely more comfortable with windows than mirrors. How about you? It's a lot easier to think of myself as looking at the Pharisees through the windows and looking at their outlandish behavior and how much they're hypocrites and how horrible people they are than to try to think about this story as being a mirror and looking at myself. Let's go through just a couple of the detailed descriptions that Jesus gave in this, this part of the passage. Let's, let's look at those. It says in verse 5, but they do all their deeds. Sorry, I'm going to quote from a, another translation that has more literal 
words again to kind of give you the fancy words. It's fun. Number, verse 5, though, it says in, uh, I believe this is the NRSV, it says, But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries. I can't say the fancy words, but the phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. So the, give you a little more background on the Jewish tradition. They had they have the, um, the, the tradition of wearing these robes and also these little boxes or little pouches. The phylacteries are these like these little pouches maybe made out of leather or a little bit of wood or something that they would tie around their wrist or tie, and tie around their forehead. And inside the little boxes would be um, scriptures. And so this was obviously when Jesus is saying bragging, if they're wearing extra big um, phylacteries, they're, gonna, they're essentially, you know, look at how big my Bible is. But they also had these tassels, and the tassels would be on the ends of their garments. And they were, there's instructions in the, in the law about having those be reminders of the commandments of God's law. And so you can kind of picture, oh, yeah, they, they kind of go through the, if you think of a, a rosary maybe or something, something to help in memory, and they kind of count the tassels and they, and they go through the laws well, those that he's kind of picking on here are the ones with extra long tassels to show that, you know, I really have um, this, this memory of the, of, the, of the lock down pat. But, you know, it's a good thing we don't, we don't worry about that kind of stuff anymore. I mean, well, I guess my tie is kind of fancy. But the, do we honestly, though, do we, do we have the same kind of challenges where we try to make ourselves look good and... Uh, in, or, in order to raise everybody's opinion of us. There's this, and the second one, he says, they love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. That's six and seven in the NRSV. What do you think about that with us today? Do we try to find the places of honor in the banquets? In the synagogues and churches or in our public places? Do we like the respectful greetings? The, uh, the thing that came to my mind most as a kind of example of this is like um, social media, which I use as an example quite a bit, but it's, it's, all, it's all over the place. But if you picture, I pictured myself trying to write a nice little Facebook post with great insight and humor, and then I post it, and then what do you wait for? How many likes are you going to get? And sometimes you even get more than, better than a like. And that's extra bonus points. But we are doing things with multi, sometimes mixed motives. Sometimes it's a really good reason why I post something on Facebook, but there's always that part of me that's like, ah, it would be nice if I got at least 10 likes. The kids I know, they go for like 100, but we've got to have standards here. But, but it, we still are looking for status and recognition. I mean, it's, it's a lot of good things that we might have people um, reading about on our Facebook status or, or where else we happen to uh, share our good news. I mean, it's a witness, isn't it? It's a witness to show people how much we sacrifice. Oh, there's that sacrifice word. Those of you who were here a couple of weeks ago, uh, this passage, I think, fits in pretty well with what Pastor Mike was, gonna, was talking about, sacrificing versus surrendering. So what do we do? Just throw in the towel and say, ah, my motives are never completely pure, so I better just give up. Well, I don't, fortunately, I don't think that's what we're being asked to do. 
And I think it is very connected to the surrendering. We need to surrender our need for recognition and honor and look at the, how we can live this life out in humility, focusing on the, the important things, the main things. One little part of the rest of the chapter I'd like to read to you is, in, is down in verse 23, I believe. Chapter 23, verse 23. It says, For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What are those more important things? And also notice he doesn't say, don't, you can't want to worry about anything like the tithing. That's, those little things are not important. He doesn't say that either. He's saying focus on that's what's more important. Keep your priorities in order. Also, going back to what we heard a couple weeks ago, uh, Jesus, I'm quoting, I guess Mike quoting Jesus who quoted Hosea. What is that? Hosea says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he quotes, Jesus quotes this when he's eating with the tax collectors. And the, and the scribes and Pharisees are wondering, why are you eating with these sinners? And Jesus is saying, he's, he's breaking traditions and he's breaking some of these rules maybe that the Pharisees had. But he knows the priority is to love his neighbor and to love the sinners, to love, heal those that are sick. So when I'm going through my, my daily life, I think a lot of it has to do with where are my thoughts and motives? Are they focused on the main thing? Are they focused on loving God and loving others? Or are they more likely focused often on just what keeps me safe? What keeps me righteous and inside the fence? I have to admit, I often, if I fail, I fail way too often on... Um, trying to stay clean and stay inside the perfect fence. Instead of focusing on the main thing of what my neighbor might need. So in closing, I think really it comes down to focusing on the main thing and what is we see in the Bible, the main thing. It's fortunately, Jesus pretty much says it. This is the main thing, guys. You remember this. To love God, to love others. Love your neighbor. I was thinking this week, I think our biggest mistake and our biggest problems and troubles come from when we try to divide these commands. What if we truly believed they were connected? What if you truly lived like the best way, the most complete and honest way to love God was by loving your neighbor. What would change? What would you need to surrender? Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this chance to come before you. to listen to your, your teaching. We pray that your spirit is 
the one moving among us this morning, Lord, guiding us to use that mirror versus instead of a window. But also always remembering that your grace is sufficient. And that you are the Father always waiting on the, on the step for us to come home. Pray you'll guide us and, and lead us as we look at ourselves and remember your love, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.